Hello and welcome to the Mountain Conversations Marine Series, brought to you in collaboration with the Marine Conservation Society, the UK charity fighting for a cleaner, better protected and healthier ocean, one that we can all enjoy. The marine environment is a fascinating one, home to the smallest and largest of all living creatures. It's also a vital resource for all life on Earth. During each episode in this series, I'll be chatting with an expert from the marine world who will share their passion and knowledge with you, along with their insights on what we can all do to help our seas thrive in the future. This is a show about hope and positivity, and it's my hope that by learning something new in each episode about the work of amazing people who dedicate their lives to making a difference, you'll be inspired to take action and get involved in the efforts to preserve our beautiful home, planet Earth. I'm Charlie, and this is Mountain Conversations. Hello, and welcome back to this bonus content episode from my chat with the amazing wildlife cameraman and ocean ambassador for the Marine Conservation Society, Doug Allen. Now, I could have chatted to Doug for hours soaking up his stories and just learning from all of that knowledge that he's accumulated over his incredible career journey. So I just wanted to take the chance to ask a couple of questions. I managed to whittle it down to just two so I didn't take up too much of his time but I hope you enjoy just listening to that a little bit more of those stories a little bit more of his experience. Right so because so many people have been so excited to that I'm talking to Doug today, including myself. I've been, you know, I've been talking about this for ages to everybody. Um, I we've got. I've just wanted to do a little bit of a bonus content for people, and just I've got a couple of questions from people that I'd love to throw at you that are more about sort of you and your personal experience. Um, a few of them come directly from me, but one of them um, is from a really good friend of mine, Peter Lewis, who is a keen diver and a really big fan of yours. His question is about your diving experience he wants to know more about your cold water diving and he wants to know what's the lowest temperature you've di- you, you've sort of dived at and how was that and how did you feel and you know all those questions that come along with it <laughs> uh, well in terms of diving <clears throat> you you can't get water colder than minus 1.8 minus 1.8 is the freezing point of normal salinity seawater so and that's what the antarctic and the arctic get down to in the winter so minus 1.8 is the coldest. Um, in terms of, of the sort of limitation of diving, it's actually got more to do with the surface temperature um, and the conditions on the surface and what facilities you have on the surface. Because if it's minus 20 and blowing and you've been travelling and you've got to somehow get into your dive kit and slip into the water and things, then, then minus 20 and blowing, you, you just won't do it. On the other hand, if you have facilities like we had at McMurdo Station, where I did some diving, then in that case, you go out and you take a hut, a dive hut with you, and you cut a hole in the ice, and then you put your dive hut over the hole, you lift these panels in the floorboards, and you can heat up the inside of your hut as warm as your living room. So you can go in, have your dive at minus 1.2, pop up, rewarm properly, and all the rest of it. Um, there's no doubt that that, you know, nowadays there are, Dry suits are much more efficient than they used to be. You can also have heated undersuits underneath your dry suit. You can have heated gloves, mitts that'll keep your hands warm. Um, you can dive with a completely dry head, so to speak, so your face 
doesn't even, so basically no part of you is in contact with the water. But all that means, you know, extra layers of, of um, technology, so to speak, and extra stuff to keep going. And you couldn't do that, for example, if you're working on the ice edge in the Arctic where you're driving along with a snow machine and you're not sure if you're going to find narwhal that day. Maybe you're going to go into water with them. Maybe you'll only work on the surface. So it depends what sort of backup you've got uh, in terms of how warm you can stay. But um, I quite often dive with a dry suit, but then wet hands and wet head, which means that my mitts and my my hood will be, they let the water in, so I feel the cold against my face. And it's so long ago since I first felt the slap of cold minus 1.8 water on my face. You know, we're talking about the Antarctic in 1976. That was the first time I had that sort of temperature. And all I can say is that you... You get accustomed to it. It does feel like you know cold and your lips go numb, but you do get accustomed to it. And and after a while, you don't really notice it. But every person is is different. I could take you, for example, Charlie, give you a bit more diving experience, and then put you in the best dry suit, and we could go for a dive. And you might you might be warmer or colder than me because it depends on your individual physiology, and particularly when it comes to your extremities, your hands, your feet. Some people have just got better circulation in those areas than others. So, psycho- so, so cold has a physiology, but also a psychology. You know, it's, you, you tend to get less cold if you're swimming around looking for marine mammals underneath the ice than if you've settled down in one place and you're waiting for a sea anemone to open up. You know, it's, that's not so exciting. It's more static, so you get colder. Um so all I would say is that you you know you do get accustomed to it, and with a bit of accustoming and with an interesting dive, you can certainly stay underwater for around about an hour in minus one point eight. But and if you're surfacing to somewhere warm, to a tent or a hut where you can get your stuff off and get properly rewarmed, then about three hours later you'll be ready to go in and make another one hour dive. Um, so it depends on on so many things, um, you know, as to how long. You can stay in the water and how cold you feel. Uh, Sometimes you've got to push through that pain barrier if another 10 minutes in the water means you're going to get something special. Yeah, absolutely and I think well for me I'm a, I know it's completely different but I, I'm a cold water swimmer um, oh, yeah. I think it comes from living in Wales and now obviously moving over to the coast in North yeah, yeah. I very much love that and I love feeling the benefits but I've been with people before who've, who've gone for the first time and they've got in and gone no nope, not a chance I'm not doing that but it's it's about I think for me it's just it's the feeling you get when you push past that you know the initial <clears throat> of of oh god this is really cold and once you're in the feeling that replaces that is just so worth it for me um yeah, yeah I think I imagine I don't know if it's the same with diving but yeah. well no I think it is you know you can get the same too with climbers sometimes you get this what's called second heat yeah. don't you where you know your body when it knows what to expect and you may have to go cold water swimming four or five times or longer before it knows what to expect but it will then start to generate the the heat that you need to stay a bit warmer but also your your head gets into the space where you you get through that first initial cold bit and then definitely when you come out yes your whole body's glowing and tingling and you feel better for it but that's that's almost the same with any exercise you know those endorphins that get going when you 
when you exert yourself a little bit, they, you can really feel them buzzing and they set you up for the rest of the day. They do, absolutely. I think the thing with the cold swimming, with, with me, I don't, I did a lot of cold diving, a lot of things. It's all about how accessible the cold water is. If you lived on the shore, lived next to the sea, it, I think it would be easier than if you have to, you know, get all your kit together and drive through stuff and things like that. It kind of takes the edge off it, maybe. Probably, yeah. I mean, I'm only a couple of miles from the, 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 the coast. I can drop the kids off at school and just go for a quick, you know, even just a, a 15, 20 minute. And I'm one of these these weird ones that I don't wear a wetsuit or a dry suit or anything. I'm just oh, yeah. straight in in the swimming costume for mainly because I'm lazy and I don't like wetsuits. <laughs> but, I think but it works. It no, works. Yeah, yeah. Whatever works for you. Right. Uh, I could speak to you all day, but I'll just go with one on. more question. And I'm sure it's a question you've been asked a million and one times. But, you know, humour me. <laughs> um, you've had an amazing, diverse, incredible, varied career. Is there one thing that stands out to you that you've gone, oh, my God, I'm actually here or I can't believe I'm seeing this? Um, well, it's more. <laughs> Sorry. No, 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 no. <laughs> In terms of single individual instances, um there are many, but the best ones are all characterised by being in the presence of a large wild mammal. And because underwater you have to get much closer to your subject than you would do on the surface, and you can't hide from anything underwater. Yeah, I suppose it's close encounters with big mammals, and, and particularly, well, you know, seals, humpbacks. I mean, I've loved the time with humpbacks and tonga, I also had a lovely time with a female narwhal up in the Arctic. And I think the thing is, it's, it's, it's this sort of buzz that you get because these animals have got, they don't have to come close to you. If they're unhappy with you for any reason, they won't come close to you. So when they do come close to you, you can genuinely feel privilege and also pride in the fact that you've played your cards right so this animal comes to see you. And this animal may never have seen a human being before. And the fact that you've chilled out and you probably haven't tried too hard to get close to it, you've given it time to come in and it's chosen to come in and see you. And the beauty with a mammal is that you can't speak their language, but there's so much passes between you just by being in their presence. Um, those are the those are the big things that you know that stick in my mind, and as I say, particularly underwater where you can fly around your subject in in three three dimensions. You know when you get a, a you know a forty ton, ten and a half fifteen meter long humpback coming out of the blue towards you, and then over the next half hour it comes closer to you. And by the end, it's almost, it's like meeting a, a Labrador down the park that you never knew. And by the end of the day, you can stroke it and it might, you know, fetch a stick if you throw it and you're playing with it. Yeah. You know, when you do that, I mean, if, you know, 40, 40, 50 ton mammal does that a couple of metres from you. It's got to be unbeatable. Yeah. 
It's got to be unbeatable. And I hate to say it, but this is going to sound really selfish, but when you are the only person there and you don't have to share it with other people, mm-hmm. and not by sharing it, but it becomes even more, you realise even more that it's just you which has brought this animal in. And it, it just feels great. That feeling that you have when a wild animal trusts you enough to be in your company for a while, it's unbeatable. I think I think it's a bit like I've never thought of it like that before, but I'm a, I, I started off life as an archaeologist. And um, if you're excavating, you know, mm-hmm. you could excavate something that you that it, when you when you're holding it, you could be the first person to hold that for, say, 2000 years, you know, or longer. Whereas for in your situation, you could be the only human ever to see a species or, or a particular, you know, an individual of a species. Yeah, you, yeah, that, right. that could be it. That's I know, I know that that's it's this sort of preciousness and and reverence is the wrong word, but but it is a bit of reverence. It's that intense feeling of of privilege that you have to to have it for that little bit. And and as you say, you know, with wildlife filming, the holy grail is to is to see animals doing something naturally which no one else has seen before. They may have heard about it, but seeing something for the first time and then having the tools with you and the people with you who can help you to film that and bring it back for other people to see. And that's why the killer whales washing the seals off the ice floe, which was Doug Anderson and I filmed that together, another Scottish camera person. And, you know, Hillary, um, Catherine was there, the producer and things. And we just had a great team on that ship. And, and when you get, it's always somehow, although I like, the individualism of being in the water with an animal. I love the team feeling that wildlife filming is all about. I love the fact that it's a team pulling together all the way through all the stages that give you something where, you know, the, the, the end product is greater than the sum of the parts when everybody's on song. And that's, you know, that makes it wonderful. But yeah, in the company of big, charismatic sexy animals that have chosen to spend time with me that's the biggest buzz wow well thank you thank you for answer for indulging me <laughs> no, no, my pleasure Charlie. well i'm sure you'll agree it was absolutely brilliant just to have a little bit longer to talk to doug and learn about his experiences and hear more of those stories. I hope I get the chance in the future to sit down with Doug again and ask more of the questions that are whizzing around my head. I'm going to actually end this bonus episode with a quote from the great David Attenborough about Doug. Doug Allen seems to be immune to most of the limitations that govern other humans. Furthermore, he is totally without fear in a way that comes not from recklessness, but from deep knowledge and experience. I'm Charlie, and this has been Mountain Conversations.